Welcome to the Fire and Earth Podcast with your hosts, Jason Mefford and Kathy Groover. Fire and Earth, giving you the keys to unlock your limitless potential. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Fire and Earth Podcast. I am your co-host, Kathy Groover. And I'm Jason Mefford. And today we are lucky because we're bringing back one of our great friends, Dennis Ford. So Dennis, welcome, man. Hey, raising the roof, raising the roof. Always a delight to hang out with the two coolest kids on campus. Well, and I I appreciate that you could do it. Are you, well, and I'm glad that you call us kids too, because usually most people are calling us old farts, you know? Yeah, well, <laughs> as long as we're interacting, you're always going to be kids to me. So Yay. that's the advantage of hanging out with me. Yeah. I'm so yeah. old, you'll always be a kid. And I'm youthing. <laughs> I'm youthing. So, yeah. Well, hey, I know, you know, I think today we wanted to talk a little bit about there's this thing going on. A lot of people are calling the great resignation, right? That, that there's a lot of stuff just really turning up, obviously, for the last couple of years. Corporate America, how we do work, lots of different things like that. And I know you've you've done a lot of work in culture and other stuff. So we wanted to have you back on and kind of talk about this because it's a relevant topic that a lot of people are actually dealing with right now, both from an employer perspective and employee perspective. Well, I appreciate being here, and you couldn't be more correct when you just described that. Uh, the the great resignation, it, it's one of those things, in, in 2020, there was a word that, that just enveloped all of business, and everybody was using it. It was pivot. And we all got pretty tired of it because it just got used and used and overused and overused. Well, there is another word or phrase, and, and it depicts where we are right now. And unfortunately, I would say it's, it's absolutely true, and it's the great resignation. In 2021, and I'm just going to throw out a couple of statistics just to set a baseline where we're at. Uh, In 2021, 50 million people, 50 million employees left their jobs of their own volition. They weren't let go. They decided, I'm going to leave. That's by far the most that the Bureau of Labor Statistics has ever recorded. It was over 4 million employees a month left. Um, now, according to Forbes, uh, and they cited a, a, a PricewaterhouseCoopers study, they said 65 to 75% of the American workforce has one foot out the door and they're looking for their next job, actively looking for their next game. Mm-hmm. Monster.com, this is what they do. They said, no, no, it's not 75%, it's 95%. Monster.com. So that does not bode well for um, many companies in America right now, unless they come to grips and, and a realization of actually why employees stay and why they go. Yeah. And, and so I, I'll, I'll sort of start, and this is not a shameless plug, it sets the baseline that I wrote this book uh, four years ago. And the premise of the book is, is that, uh, I think who was it Peter Drucker said that uh, culture trumps um, business plans every time. I think that was his take on business. Well, I absolutely agree with that. And I quantified it in this book that, that company culture is far more powerful than most corporate leaders make allowances for. <clears throat> and the proof in that is that when I wrote the book, 87%, statistically, 87% of the American workforce was unengaged and unhappy. Well, Gallup just redid that for 2021. You know what it is? 
87% of the American yeah. workforce unengaged and unhappy. Now, it, you don't have to be a visionary to know, hmm, do unengaged and unhappy people tend to do a really good job? One of the things I laugh about, it's, it's in my book and I, and I speak on it, is that nothing that I advocate an eighth grader does not know. If you ask a 13-year-old, let me, let me ask you, do you think that somebody who's appreciated and trusted, I don't know, respected, do you think they do a better job? 13-year-old, well, duh. Now, smartest people in the room, Wharton MBAs, Stanford MBAs, Harvard MBAs, heads of companies, C-suite leadership, and, and I've sat in hundreds of meetings with them. They don't know that. Either they never knew that or they have forgotten it. Because if they knew it, 87% of the American workforce would not be unhappy and unengaged. Well, and what's so stunning about that, first of all, I don't do math, but numbers don't lie. So if 87% is the consistent number, that's the number. I mean, that's that's the reality of the situation. And it's fascinating to me because I think, you know, we had this shift from, you know, when my dad was in the workforce where it was, you got your job and you stay there forever and you got your pension and you got your watch when you retired and that was your life. And now I think work has become so transactional, like they've taken the human out of it. Now, companies are going that other direction. And I love that we're going to talk about culture and the great resignation and how to keep people happy and engaged, because if they're not, your business is going to fail. And I'm starting to do a lot of corporate coaching and corporate consulting. And I'm seeing this across the board of every industry. How do we keep our people happy? How do we keep them engaged? How, how do we keep them from just up and leaving? Because the cost of that turnover, <clears throat> excuse me, the cost of that turnover is huge to onboard someone new, to replace that. To do. So, you know, we need to see some changes. And I think if, if nothing, I, I think some good came out of COVID. And if nothing else, I think this was a time for people to sit in that stillness and make different choices. So, and I'm glad to see this is happening and that we can have this conversation. I, well, I'm going to uh, uh, hit on something you just said, and it is wildly important, and that's how much do resignations cost? Mm -hmm. Hard number, $1.2 trillion in 2022 is predicted. It was over a trillion in 2021. Again, this is data-based, hard number, Bureau of Labor Statistics, Gallup, Harvard Business Review. Yeah. And, and the general rule of thumb is that it, it costs about two times a person's salary to uh, um, replace them. And, mm. and, and that takes into account some opportunity costs and getting people up to speed. And this is an employee that you want. The, the tragedy for companies in America uh, through the great resignation is they're, they're not losing employees that they would just as soon get rid of. They're losing key employees that are integral to their business. And when that employee leaves, it can be, depending on their skill set, three to four times. So even just do the math in your head. If you've got 500 employees and you roll 100 over a year, that's just, ah, yeah, we roll about 20% of our employees over a year. Yeah, this year it's going to be more. If, if a business owner would just simply look at their salary, do the simple multiplier, they'd have a number that, that those resignations cost them. And yeah. you would think that they would go, hmm, I wonder what I could do to keep them. And that leads me into something, I, I just segued myself without even meaning to, but I'd rather be lucky than good. Um, uh, there was a company called Mindshare. They're sort of a think tank, HR oriented site. Years ago, I cited them because they gave CEOs a list of 10 things that are important to employees across the board, they're important to employees. Mm -hmm. So 
They said, CEOs, put these in order of importance to your employees. Then they went to employees and said, okay, put these 10 things in order of importance. Now I'm not gonna go through them all. Suffice to say that the bottom three for CEOs were in fact the top three for employees. Yeah. You couldn't miss more than they missed. They didn't miss by 20% or 30%. They were almost diametrically opposed in what they felt employees would say is important versus what employees said. Mm -hmm. And I'm only gonna give three of them because it's really key and it's the backbone in everything that I'm advocating culture-wise in this post-pandemic world. <clears throat> That's uh, the, the top three things according to CEOs, good wages, job security, promotion, and, and growth opportunities. The bottom three, according to employees, job security, good working conditions, tactful discipline. It, the good wages, number one for CEOs, number seven for employees. Yeah. And this one really drives it home. This is a study just done by MIT Sloan School of Business. Not a preset list of things. They just simply said to employees, what matters most to you, period. Number one, employees want to feel respected. Number two, they want to feel supported by their leadership. Number three, they want to see their leaders live the core values and not just have it stuck on a wall. Number four, they will not work for toxic managers or with toxic people. Number five, they will not stand for unethical behavior, either from employees or leadership. Number six, benefits. Number seven, compensation and perks. Yeah. And yet, corporate leadership in America still fights this concept about how important culture is versus the old traditional, this is what we pay, here's a perk, you know, here's, here's a bonus, here's you know, right. this stuff. And, yeah. and I, I, what I'm finding, uh, Kathy, and you, you and I talked about this the other day, is it's, I think the great resignation is finally getting the attention of corporate leadership to where they're going, um, okay, what we're doing isn't working. Mm -hmm. And not only are we losing people, we're losing people faster than we've ever lost people. Yeah. And it's costing us a fortune and worse, we can't find people to replace them. Hmm, what are we gonna do about this? Dennis, do you think, as I'm, as I'm hearing you talk about this, uh, uh, what do you think the disconnect is? Do you think it's because often the CEOs are of a different generation where money did solve the problem, where they got into that field because they wanted good wages. And now we have this up and coming generations of people who are like, screw the money, I wanna be having fun and I wanna be respected and I wanna be treated better. Do you think it's a generational thing or what is the disconnect between what the CEOs think people want and what people actually want? Uh, that's a great question. And I, I would say uh, that what I advocate is that human nature is human nature and that a boomer is gonna to respond the same to being appreciated, respected, trusted as a Gen Z. Now, are the generations different? Yeah. Are millennials through Gen Y and Z um, approaching their work life with a different set of expectations than our parents did coming out of the depression? Yeah. I was raised with this mindset of you're lucky to have a job. You know, you're lucky, you're lucky, you're lucky yeah. if somebody writes you a paycheck. We had nothing to do with your skills or your talents. It's, it was this sort of overriding mindset 
that everybody who had a good job was lucky to have a good job. Yeah. And that was true during the depression. Depression, 90 years ago, <laughs> we're in a different world. And so I would say that you are correct on both counts. Yes, it is generational to a degree, but I also don't think it's totally generational because the research I did four years ago for the book showed that every generation responds the same way when shown respect, trust, appreciation. And frankly, what I also advocate is that if an employee doesn't warm to that, it doesn't mean your culture's off. It doesn't mean you're wrong. It means you got a bad hire. It mm. means you have someone you need to replace. If, if as a company and a leadership team, you create a culture with all of those facets that is appreciative and trusting and honest and, and empathetic, uh, respectful, if you have leaders or employees that don't embrace it, get rid of them. Got, they got to go. Well, and it's interesting because as, as you're talking, you know, in a lot of the employee engagement, I used to be in charge of ethics and compliance. One of the things we would do is the employee surveys, right, and engagement. And, and what I always noticed was, and, and you're bringing this up again here too, is that there is such a huge disconnect. It's almost like, you know, when, when, when we would look, we could look across, you know, across the organization geographically, but when you looked vertically, in the organization, it was almost like there was a flip that was switch or switch that was flipped. When somebody gets to be a director or VP, they have a totally, totally different view of what's going on in the organization from everyone else in the organization. And I think we're seeing this again now, right? Is it's like, what happens to leaders when they, when they get to this point? Because like you said, generational, probably not, right? Because a lot of the people that are in, in those roles now, yeah, maybe they're still boomers, but there's a lot of Gen Xers that are in there. There's some, you know, on the, on the tail end of millennials that are in there now too. So, so what is it that happens to a leader at that point? Because I'm just thinking again, I mean, the problem is the leadership. <laughs> it's not the people. It's yeah. like everybody on the ground floor going, what the fuck? Are you finally going to listen to us, yeah, right? That's it, how revolutions happen, is the people get ignored long enough and they're like, fuck it, we're taking out the leaders. Yeah. You're, so, you're, you couldn't be more correct. And in, and in fact, a quick story. I didn't set out to be a culture guy. I own a corporate, communi a, a corporate communications company, highly creative. You, we utilize comedy and musical theater to, to get messages across. We're sort of an out there little boutique -y, weird messaging company. The reason I ended up writing a book on culture is I had sat in, in so many meetings with C-suite leadership. And I'm talking big companies. I, I really shouldn't say their names here, but we're talking top 10, top 20, Fortune 100 list. So now I'm sitting with you know, very high up senior VPs, president. So we're talking about what it is we need to do as a company, Quantum Leap. And so here's the holy grail of information that they need disseminated at a big meeting. And, and, and we're coming up with you know, creative ways to do that. But the number of times that the conversation degenerated into them dissing their own employees and bad-mouthing their own employees, oh, our salespeople, oh, they're a bunch of prima donnas, damn it, and they don't get how good they have it. The back shop doesn't get it because there's no sense of immediacy, and oh, damn it, nobody gives good customer service anymore. And I would watch this again and again and again. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I realized these people, smartest guys in the room, smartest people in the room had no idea that they were the very culture that they were saying they didn't like. 
it, it, the culture was them. Uh, here's a, a, a cornerstone of everything I believe in. Never in the history of ever has a culture started with a downline employee and moved its way up to a CEO who went, well, wow, that's a pretty good way to be. That'll be us from now on. Said no CEO ever. Culture always starts at the top. CEO leadership team and matriculates down through an organization as, as a set of expectations, as a set of behaviors. Is it empathetic? Is it toxic? Whatever it is at the top, yeah. that's what's going to permeate through the organization. And, and that was really the catalyst for writing the book is I had sat in so many of these meetings and realized, uh, uh, to your uh, uh, point, that somewhere along the line, either these people never knew which is hard to believe. Yeah, or they, they were low-level employees at some point. They, or they had, knew. Or had forgotten how much an empathetic, trusting, respectful environment nurtured them. The, it, one of the premises of the book, and it doesn't have to do so much with the, with the great resignation, but I still advocate it because it's true, is, is that there's a here's, a, here's a universal truth. Every employee in every company, notice I'm using the word every, Every employee in every company every day comes to work and they have the same choice. Every industry, they all have the same choice. How much effort am I gonna put in today? Am I gonna do everything I'm capable of, we'll call it above and beyond, or will I do just enough to slide under the radar, not get noticed, not get fired? And what's the difference between these two things? Quantifiably, it's 50 to 70%. The productivity. Productivity. The difference in productivity. Output. Yeah. And I'll also advocate this. No company has an oversight or measurement platform to actually monitor what an employee is capable of. It can, it can monitor output, but what yeah. we're capable of, that's in here. It's my choice. Do I go above and beyond or, or do I do the least amount I can do? Now, I don't want to back us up on time. But can I tell you a quick story that's the backbone of the book and it's the backbone of everything I believe. The book was originally going to be called Everything I Needed to Know About Business I Learned Waiting Tables. So I'm working at this incredible restaurant. It was called Nantucket Lobster Trap. I, putting myself through college, greatest gig ever. So this one night, we were packed as always. I noticed that on my station of four tables, checks are down on all four tables. If you've been a server, could that be trouble? Checks are down, they're paid, now they're just sitting. So I'm thinking, okay, the hostess will watch my back. She won't seat everybody at the same time. I go into the kitchen to do something, come back out. <laughs> sure enough, I've got four brand new tables. Now I'm a pretty good waiter, but I can't violate the laws of physics and be in four places at the same time, which is where I need to be. So now it's a little bit of damage control. Grab the water pitcher, go to the first table. Hi folks, my name is Dennis. Welcome to the Lobster Trap. I'll be a waiter tonight. We got some special tonight that I knock your socks off. We got a swordfish in from Block Island and I go on with my, with my uh, spiel. So now I'm at the second table. Same thing. Hi folks, my name's Dennis. How are you doing? And I, about halfway through my spiel, I hear this behind me. And I take a quick look. Sure enough, this guy at my third table. And he's not looking at me. He's just looking around because, damn it, somebody's going to pay attention to him. So I kind of chuckle. Get to the third table. Hi, folks. My name's Dennis. I'll be a waiter tonight. Sorry it took a minute to get here, but I'm here now. And I'm going to get you the specials. We're going to get your, your night rock and roll. We're going to have a great time. And, and other than the look of utter disdain they gave me, <laughs> I got through the specials. So I get to the fourth table. But before I can say a word, the guy there says, hey, Dennis, how you doing? Looks like you're having quite a night. I laughed. He said, let me guess. You had your entire station set at the same time, didn't you? I went, yeah, I did. 
He goes, yeah, I thought so. Well, I'll tell you what, by the way, I'm David, this is Ed. Uh, we're here for the long run. We're gonna have a nice night. So if you can have someone bring us a cocktail, maybe two, we're gonna just sit and chat. So you go and do whatever you need to do to get caught up. And when you have time, come back, tell us about the specials and we'll start our night. Now one table that night got my absolute above and beyond everything I could give them. Seriously, everything in my purview as a waiter, I gave them. Uh, oversized shrimp and crab cocktails. Uh, I personally selected the cut of fish and handed it to the cook. Uh, free dessert, I bought them an after dinner drink. Now, I'm just gonna spitball here. Who do you think got that above and beyond level of service? It was this guy, right? Um, yeah, uh, thanks for playing. So clearly, David and Eileen got this level of service. Everything that I could give them. Now it begs the question, did we have a side deal? I mean, of course, there's going to be a tip. Was there a bonus? Was there some deal we made where I was going to make more on their table? No. Were they friends? Were they family? Did I have a reason to do that? So again, it, 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 and the answer is no. So it begs the question, why did I choose? And this is so key. I chose to give that level of service to them. Yeah, understanding, respect, kindness, consideration, consciousness, because they could look at you and go, you look a little bit, you know, they were aware of this or they were present to that. And all I, I think there's the above. so many leaders that aren't, and I hear this in employees, employers that my friends have. It's like, yeah, they pay me shit. They don't respect me. They treat me like crap. They did, why would I show up and do a good job? And the postscript to the story, there was a table that night that got just enough that I would not get fired. I'm a really good waiter. Mm. They didn't get my best. Yeah. I'm certainly not going to get fired. I'm a waiter, but I'm not going to do anything gross. But they got nothing from me more than what was dictated in my job description. Lady, yeah. lady, lady, well, lady. And, 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 and let's take this, let's take the, let's convert this to a business, a real life business thing, right? Because people are going to say, oh, Dennis, that's a great story. It's lovely, right? But let's, let's, I've, I've heard this kind of discussion, I'm guessing you have too, right? Is, is, is it sounds like, again, most of the leaders don't have empathy. And so again, let's, let's take this into a corporate environment where let's say, Dennis, you're having, you're having some struggles right now. Maybe you're going through a divorce. You've got a sick child. Maybe you've got a, an elderly parent, something is going on similar to having four tables seated at the same exact time, right? So maybe you're not able to show up at work right now for the couple of, maybe for a couple of months, the way you normally would and give the great service. Most of the leaders are over there like this guy, right? Like Dennis, I don't give a shit that your parents are sick. I don't care. You've got a job to do. You get your ass to work 40 hours a week, or we're going to fire you. Mm -hmm. Right. Most leaders are like the guy at the table clicking their fingers right? It's, it's the leaders that are like, Dennis, you know what, dude, I totally understand. I have an elderly parent too. I understand what you're going through. I realize that for this next little time, now we still got work that needs to be done, but we're a team, man. You know, I understand. I get it. <laughs> let's, let's figure out a way that as a team, we can help and support you through these two or three months while you're dealing with this. How are you going to respond afterwards, right? That leader's got you for life you because, because you, have, you have built that relationship with them. You've, you've understood and, and had some empathy for them. Is that, is that person going to show up 100% when 
when they can. I got to say that they would. I mean, I know from some of the yeah. people I worked with, it's like, dude, I am going to give you my blood, sweat, and tears for the rest of my life yep. because of what you did for me. Right? It costs you nothing. That's the irony is right. that companies will spend a fortune on bonuses and programs and recognition and trips and, 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 and all financially based, assuming that's the catalyst. That's the thing that all employees look for. What you just described, we will walk through fire for someone who does that for us. I, we don't have enough time. I've got another restaurant story that absolutely epitomizes what you just said. And, and it all comes back to a very base reality about human behavior and human response. And, and corporate America apparently doesn't get it because 87% of the American workforce is still unengaged and unhappy and, and 75 to 95% are looking for, percent are looking for a new job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, let, me it, ask, let me ask you this, Dennis. Yeah. Um, so what's the solution to this? I mean, we can say, hey, be empathetic, be kind, be, if there's still clearly a disconnect, because this is not like, we're not the first people that had this conversation. This has been having, this has been 10, 20 years of us having this as a global conversation and there's still this disconnect. So what's the solution to this? How do you get to those leaders and reach those CEOs and say, here's the data. We need to be kind, empathetic, understanding, magnanimous, present, conscious. How do we convince them? Um, th that's a great question. Uh, the way we convince them is that one, we have to get in front of them, as you said, and that is the rub. Because if you ask most C-suite leadership teams, presidents and CEOs, how's your culture? Oh, culture's great. They, they're so disconnected yeah. from it. Now, as a culture consultant, uh, what, I, what I live and die by is I need one person to at least embrace it in a C-suite team. Yeah. I need someone to go, wait a minute. We, I think we maybe have a disconnect here. Uh, and, and the second part of it is knowing that the, the, it's not just a possibility. You can create an intentional culture. Most cultures in American business are happenstance. They just happen because they happen. And most are not very good. But a few companies over the years, uh, Tony Shea at Zappos was one of them. He mm -hmm. knew the value of culture and he wrote it down. He said, this is who we are. And if you, this is how we're gonna hire. And if you're not gonna live by this, you're gonna go. I'll give you money to go. He, he literally gave employees money to leave if it wasn't a good fit in the culture. That's yeah. extreme, but every time they had a job opening, they, they'd get a thousand applicants. A, a warehouse job. It's not because a thousand people wanted to work at a warehouse. They just wanted to work for Zappos. Yeah. So what I advocate, it's, again, it's not a pitch for my book, but it's just something that I've done, is I have a six-step plan, a process, a protocol to establish what your culture is and come to grips with it. Because again, we acknowledge most leaders actually don't know. One, they don't know their own culture. Two, they don't even know what culture is. Not really. Yeah. Come to grips with it, deal with it, and then conceive and create the, what would be the perfect culture to you. Now, hopefully that encapsulates respect and trust and appreciation and all the things we know that humans respond favorably to. But that's part of the process to then create an intentional culture. Then yeah. the next step is to 
implement it and manifest it. it, it it's, a, it's a long process, won't go into it here, but it I advocate that it takes a year. It, there's, there's, no, there's no email in the world that's gonna change a culture. It's only changed by behaviors consistent and, and empathetic. Kathy, that's what, and, and frankly, most employees, and I, I, I'll tell this to a CEO, be prepared for most of your employees to think this is bullshit. For the first 30 days or 60 days, they think it, it's just the flavor of the month and it's gonna go away. Yeah. The only thing that will make this new culture real and manifest is if you and your leadership team live it every single day. And your yeah. employees, your, your, your higher or upper level management, your mid-level management and your employees see it. Remember that all, all behaviors and culture matriculate down from the top. So yeah. over time, as, as people are exposed to this, you will one, find most people embrace it. And two, you'll find toxic people or abusive people who don't and they have to go. Yeah. And, and, and so you, Kathy, you ask, what do we do? People like us, all three of us, we get involved with a C-suite team that's amenable and open to looking at their own culture. And we help them through a defined process, create an intentional culture. I use that word a lot. Yeah, an intentional culture based on the things that drive human beings from the heart and the mind and the soul. And I'm not getting all namby-pamby because there's data that backs every bit of this up. Yeah. There's absolute hard data that takes this from the realm of, oh, cultures feel good. And yeah, my company, it's, everybody likes each other and everybody treats each other well. A lot of leadership in American business, they think that way. They diss culture. It's not important. Well, we have the data that shows not only is it important, it's wicked important. Yeah, the most. Yeah. And costs so them a, a lot of money. Absolutely. So we have like, you know, 10 seconds left. Um, <laughs> Jason, <laughs> final thoughts for you. Well, we, we can go on for days. Well, um, know, final thoughts before we. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, Dennis, what it, the, the working title you had for your book, you know, everything I needed to know, I learned waiting tables. Waiting table. It's, it's um, you know, as you're, as you're talking, it's like, this is not rocket science. It's not rocket science, okay? You've got a great book. There's, there's, there's things out there, but it's like, you know, for all the leaders that lose their humanity, yeah. that's what really is happening. As people move up in corporations, they lose their humanity. They no longer see their employees as fellow human beings. They see themselves as being somebody different, making multi-million dollars a year, and oh, are you know that that whole thing about the salespeople? It's like who the fuck do you think brings in the money for right. your business? <laughs> yeah, it's I like know. if you are ever dissing your salespeople, it's like come on, dude, whatever. But 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 to me, it just it just really feels like you know, and and I don't know who taught it along the way, but that when you get to be a leader you can you need to stop being a human to being a good leader and that's we all know that's bullshit that is not it, true it is not it, true but it, it's so much about just remember and be a human and treat other people like a human being should be treated i i i'm my guess because i don't have an mba uh my guess though is that not many mba programs focus on what you just described they will focus <laughs> on numbers on process humans on 101 <laughs> Finance, I, I do have and, an MBA and, and I can and, confirm that and, we did and, not have a course on that. And, and, <laughs> and, and so 
maybe even this this level of higher education beats that humanity out of them. I don't know, because I never went through the program. But <sighs> somewhere along the line, you're exactly right. They, assuming they once had empathy, mm -hmm. so many of them don't now. And, and the numbers don't lie. Yeah. Truly, if, if American business leadership was doing a great job, was empathetic and respectful and appreciative, the numbers year in, year out, be would be different and they're not yeah they're well, just not and they're getting worse actually they're, they are they're getting not worse. getting better they're getting even worse and well, then and then companies wonder why are people leaving yeah well like i said covid gave people that ability to sit in that silence and ask what do i really want how do i want to be treated how, where do i want to be in my life and so it gave us that chance to then have this conversation oh this has been great dennis what's your website where can people find you the book all that good stuff um, it's a actual, I don't have a, a, a separate website for my book because I actually have this other business life. Yeah. So it's qlpnow.com. So that's quantum leap productions. And then, uh, one of our services is culture. And then there's a page with the book and all that stuff. Yay. We'll send everybody there. This has been great. Uh, I love this conversation and yeah, I mean, it's time to make those changes and it's time to be conscious and, uh, empathetic as a leader. So. And it's time to fly trapeze again, Kathy, because we have not flown trapeze together in a really long time. I know. I've been traveling every weekend. I'm actually going to be in Seattle this coming weekend to fly up, up there with them. So I'm excited. Oh, about you, that. Uh, you, oh I can't wait to, to go see their that. show and all that. Oh, awesome. God, that's so. going to be amazing. We cool. won't go into that, but that's going to be way cool. Have a wonderful we'll have a, we'll have a We'll bring all our trapeze friends out. We'll have a conversation. Cool. <laughs> I am Kathy Gruber. I can be reached at kathygruber.com. And I'm Jason Mefford. I can be reached at jasonmefford.com. So go out. Hey, this week, just practice being a human. Be kind to a few people and see how it feels. Because I promise you, it'll make you feel good, but it'll also make them feel good as well. Who and knew? The, I know. They're crazy. Amazing, God. right? Oh, and with that, we'll catch you all on the next episode of the Fire Earth Podcast. See ya. See ya. See ya. See ya.